taking care of you today. If you have any questions about the menu, please let me know. I guess I do have a question about the chicken. If you could just tell us a little bit more about it. Uh, the chicken is a heritage breed, uh, woodland-raised chicken that's been fed a diet of sheep's milk, soy, and hazelnuts. Okay, this is, this is local? Yes, absolutely. Okay. I'm going to ask you just one more time, and it's local. It is. Is that USDA organic or Oregon organic or Portland organic? It's just all across the board organic. The hazelnuts, these are local. Uh, how big is the area where the chickens are able to roam free? I'm sorry to interrupt. I have exactly the same question. Four acres. Mm -hmm. Give me just a second. Mm -hmm. I'll be right back, okay? Okay. Okay. She's nice. You're doing the right thing. I'm too apologetic. You are. I, I drove way too slow here today, didn't I? Yeah. I'm so weird with that gas pedal. I think just moves the whole vehicle forward now. All right, so here is the chicken you'll be oh, enjoying yeah. tonight. You have this information. This is fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, his name was Colin. Here are his papers, okay? That's great. He, he looks what? like a happy little yeah. guy who runs around. A lot of friends, other chickens as friends. Putting his little wing around another one and kind of like you know, palling around. I don't know that I can speak to that level of uh, intimate knowledge about him. Um, they do a lot to make sure that their chickens uh, uh, are very happy. When yeah. you say they, I mean, who are these people raising Colin? It's a farm that's located about uh, 30 miles south of Portland. And you feel, and you, am I, like you have a good relationship with this farm? We I do. Mean, it's not some guy on a yacht who lives in Miami oh, who's goodness, just no. saying that he's organic. It, just, it tears at the core of my being the idea of someone just cashing in on a trend like organic. No, I know the type, no. Yeah. Um, tell you what, we're going to go check it out if you don't mind, just yeah. if you could hold our seats. Oh, no, no. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll be right back. We'll just want to make sure. Just, you know, okay. thank you so much, Dana. Sure, sure. Well, it's pretty trendy to buy organic, huh? I mean, our culture really loves, really, really loves to, to applaud us if we care about the purity of our food. Now, our world also likes to applaud us if we care about the protecting our children's safety. I don't know if you've seen this lately, but I saw this recently at the park. There was this mom who got her kid out of the car, strapped a helmet on the kid's head, elbow pads, shoulder pads, shin guards. I thought she was going to lacrosse practice, and she was like six. And all of a sudden, the mom goes, okay, have fun, go play. Be careful on the swing set. I'm, I'm half joking, but, but we live in this world today we're, we're called blessed if we care more about the purity of our food or if we really value the purity of protecting our kids' noggin, our safety. And yet, people totally make fun of us if we protect our kids' minds, if we protect their purity and their kids' hearts. Now, here's the challenging thing. Very few of us have ever been taught what it means to have a pure heart. Very few of us even know how to protect our own heart, let alone our kids' hearts. So what are we supposed to do? I mean, if we look around the world today and we see all the junk, 
a lot of us I know have said, why bother? Why bother trying to have a pure heart? You just can't do it. Some of us would say, is it even possible to have a pure heart? Well, I believe that Jesus wants to show us today why we desperately need a pure heart and actually give us ways to do that. So we're going to be in Matthew 15, if you want to turn there. And as we begin, let me open us in a word of prayer. God, you are here among us in your spirit. You dwell within us when we call upon you. You are pleased with our worship of you when our hearts are close to you. So God, I, I pray that we would remember Kara's, Kara's challenge in prayer of, of what things do we need to lay before you this morning that might be getting in the way of being close to you. God, speak through your word today. Help me to be a, a vessel that just lets your word flow without any, any impurities in the way. Amen. Well, Jesus is telling us in his kingdom speech, this is Matthew 5 now, we're, we're just going to go to one verse there and be in Matthew 15, but in this kingdom speech where Jesus is bringing this new kingdom, he's comparing the kingdom of the world to his kingdom and the values that are in the world and the values that are in his kingdom and the, the consequences or rewards of the one kingdom and the consequences or rewards of the other kingdom. And in this kingdom speech, he says, blessed are those whose hearts are pure. Blessed are those who have a pure heart for they will see God. So the value that Jesus is raising up is this, this idea of purity of heart. And the reward is something that's got to be just unbelievably amazing. To see God. If you remember from the Old Testament, it says that no one should see God and live. And yet, story after story after story of not perfect but faithful people see God. They get a glimpse of God. And, and, and Jesus says that the purity of our heart comes from keeping our ears clean and watching what we put in our eyes. Keeping our ears clean and watching what we put in our eyes, which, which doesn't make a lot of sense, at least at first glance. And the, the, the other religious teachers that are, that are around at Jesus' time, they would say that the ways that we remain with pure heart is to keep our hands clean and to watch what we put in our mouths. You can pick it up in Matthew 15 here. Jesus is teaching, he's started teaching uh, in parables, he's telling little stories about what the kingdom is like, and after he's told a few of these stories, these other religious leaders and other teachers, they come down from Jerusalem and they ask Jesus, hey, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, this isn't a hygiene thing. This isn't like they didn't have, you know, the little snap of Purell that was going. This is all about religious duty and religious ritual. These people of the day, see, they had this ritual in the Old Testament law that the priests would wash in a, in a way that would clean them spiritually as well as physically. So this was all about their priestly duties. But in, in these religious teachers' minds, if that was good then doing it every day would be better. 
And so they developed this tradition that these Pharisees would have to wash before every meal, before everything they did in order to show their purity, in order to show how much they loved God. The purity of their hands would, would demonstrate that. And, and Jesus, uh, he has some strong words to say about it. He says, well, well, why do you break God's commandment? Remember, they asked why he broke the tradition of the elders by not washing. And he says, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses the father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their mother and father is devoted to God, then they don't have to honor their mother and mother with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your traditions. So, the, in Jesus' day, you have to understand that there was no Medicare. There was no social security system. And so, the, the community was really expected to care for the elders and the elderly, especially those that were your mother and father. And so, whatever land, whatever property you had, if you could use that to help them, to care for them, you were expected to do so. But see, the, the religious, some of these religious teachers, they developed this tradition that if you offered that to God, if you said that this property was dedicated to God, then it was off limits. They did not have to use it or sell it to help their families. See, here's the funny thing, is that in practice, they could say that it's offered to God, and they could use it all the time that they're alive. And then once they were dead, then the religious community would get it. So basically, it was this really sneaky way of getting out of caring for your parents and appearing godly. Well, I'm sure we, we don't do anything like that, do we? You know, Jesus is basically saying your traditions are more important than the word of God. It's always humorous to me when someone finds out I'm a pastor and, and they ask me, like, what's it like to, to relate to this old book or, you know, do... Do you, do you find new material or anything like that? Because it's got to be so irrelevant. Yeah, I mean, we never, ever, you know, raise traditions higher than the word of God. Well, maybe on Thanksgiving, right? I mean, how many of us have overindulged in food and football and forgotten to give thanks to God for the amazing blessings that we've got? Or, there, you know... <laughs> If you haven't turned on the TV lately, there's already Christmas ads. I know I'm a little behind. They're, they've been out for a couple weeks. But at Christmas, we often spend more time planning our Good Friday shopping, or our Black Friday shopping, and then our Christmas spending sprees than we do just reflecting on the fact that the one true God came to earth and dwelt among us. Or, or in our daily living. Some of us can spend more time you know, reading the paper or watching the news stories or looking at our social media than, than we can on reading or hearing the word of God. We raise our tradition over the importance of the word of God. And I'm not saying that to, to make anyone feel guilty. I'm not saying that to judge anyone. I love a good slab of turkey. It doesn't show it, but I do. I love giving gifts at Christmas and sometimes receiving them. It's not that I'm against any of those things and not that we can't enjoy a little 
keeping up in the world with the news or with social media. But what I'm saying is, and what I think the point of Jesus' little punch to the religious leaders here, is that if you love God, then, then he comes first. Then we think about him, and he's the most important part of our life. Our minds aren't consumed by who's following us or consumed by what's going on in the world, however tragic or joyous it is, that God is permeating as a person through our minds and our hearts and our thoughts. So if we're pretending to be godly, we need to hear Jesus' words that follows this. Notice how I said that. If we're pretending to be godly. That was Jesus' accusation of the religious leaders. And he says, you're hypocrites. You say one thing and you do another. Isaiah the prophet was right when he prophesied about you. This is in chapter 29, I believe, verse 13. The people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, Their teachings are merely human rules. And Jesus called the crowds to him. And he said, listen and understand what goes into someone's mouth does not defile, does not make them impure, does not pollute them, but what comes out of their mouth, this is what pollutes them. I love this. This is like Captain Obvious from the disciples. It must have been Peter. Um, The disciples came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees and the religious leaders were offended when you said this? No, really? But he replies in some strange ways. But these, these things that he says here, these pictures that he uses, this gives us the key to seeing what it means to live with a pure heart. First of all, he says, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. He's reminding them of a story he told just, just a few, well, we don't know if it was a few days ago or a few minutes ago or if it was a few weeks ago, but we know that the story came earlier. We know it was one of Jesus' first parables, so we know it happened before this one. Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. So now he switches from plants that, that God may, may or may not have planted to blind guides. Another, another word picture here. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, they will both fall in a pit. And then, see, now Peter's talking. Explain this parable to us. We don't get it. So if you're a little bit confused right now um, or offended, then I'm doing what Jesus did. So I I would feel good about that. And he says, are you still dull? Are you still, do you still not get it? Are you still confused? Don't you see, Jesus says, that whatever comes into the mouth goes into the stomach and then goes out of the body. Do you like that little hand motion there? He actually, in, in the original language, what it talked about was it goes in the mouth, goes through the stomach, and then it goes into the latrine. I really wanted to say the crap we see on TV, but I'm like, oh, that's kind of vulgar. But that's exactly what Jesus is getting at here. This goes through and leaves us. And just like we don't sit and think about, at least most of us, don't sit and think about what's in the latrine, what's in the bathroom, 
He's saying the food that goes through is like that. We don't sit and stew on it. We don't sit and ruminate on it. It doesn't take root in our mind. But he continues, except I lost my page getting so excited. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from their heart. And these defile them or pollute them. See, Jesus, when he's quoting Isaiah 29, when he's quoting this prophet who was talking to a people who had, had been in power and they didn't use their power correctly and they got sent into exile. They had some other country come and overtake them. And then God starts speaking through his prophets to try and bring these people back into relationship with him. And, and Isaiah says, you know, the people are, are saying one thing with their mouth, but really they mean something different in their heart. They're pretending to worship me with their eyes, but they're teaching their own rules with something with their, they're teaching their own rules with their hands. Their hearts are far from me. Their eyes don't understand, their ears don't comprehend. And if they would, if they would, I would turn and hear them. They would come near to me. He says they're blind when they do this. In, in college, we had, my, my sophomore year, I had a class on the north end, the south end, the east end, and the west end. I'm not making it up. I did. I went all over. So I loved riding my mountain bike. And this is in the 90s when it was kind of cool to ride mountain bikes in really flat Midwestern places. And so I would kind of take this everywhere. And in the middle of the campus, there was this round building called the Rotunda. And they had this uh, walkway that went all the way, almost all the way around the building. And so you had to go this one way and it was, it went around the building and then it came over to my dorm room just about another hundred yards away. And around this rotunda building, there were these five foot berms that would go between around the walkways and then it would splinter off with like spokes to go to other places in the, around the campus. So as you came around this sidewalk, you could you could see these different berms. There was three or four of them, five feet high. Well, on the one at the very south end, there was about an eight-inch dirt track that had, been, that had been worn down by people that enjoyed taking their mountain bikes around this curve, up over this berm, and get six feet of air. I'm telling you, we could have been doing, you know, we could have switched from mountain bikes to BMX tricks. It was the most amazing thing in the world. You just had to make sure that you know, you left enough space between people, right? Because you don't want to be an idiot. And, uh, and this was the 90s, so not everyone was wearing a bike helmet, so I might not have been wearing a bike helmet. But the guy that was an RA next to me, just two down for me, he had this floor, I had this floor. He's like, okay. He was this really great mountain biker. He's like, just give me, about, give me about 50 yards and I got this. And so he goes around and he is booking as fast as he can. I've seen him do this 18 times. And this time was going to be no different. So we had been leaving this one engineering building on the other end of campus. We started biking around and we stop. We put down our backpacks because we don't want to have anything hindering us because that might give us six more inches of air. And he bu- busts around the side of the building and, and campus, the the classes had just gotten out, so he's got to kind of weave through a few people, and he gets up in the air, and he is, I, I just know, he's fine. 
So, you know, I, I count to 12 or whatever I did. And, and I start booking around the corner, and there's a few more people coming out, so I've got to kind of dodge some people. So, but when I get up to the berm, I don't see them up there, so I assume everything's fine. And I hit this thing, and all of a sudden I see this person's face from this direction with sheer horror on her face. But of course, I'm seeing that as my front tire has left the top of the berm and my back tire is about to leave the top of the berm as I'm still pedaling as fast as I can and I'm up in the air and all of a sudden I see my friend Scott down on the ground with his bike about 40 yards that way and he's just mostly lifeless, sort of writhing in pain, but not very fast. And I'm frozen, except I'm not frozen. At that moment, I'm going, oh, this is what it means to be blind and stupid and dull. And where's my helmet? And how am I going to get down on the ground? Because the moment my back tire left the air, I saw him and I realized doing some very fast engineering calculations in my head, that my bike would land with about the pedals and the crank, you know, the teeth, the metal circle that's very strong, was going to land right on his head, and he's not wearing a helmet either. So I do something even more dumb, and I just throw my front tire down on the ground, or just push it down as fast as I can, thinking that's going to get me to the ground sooner. I, of course, land on my front tire, with all the force of my bike, in front of his head though, where my face then hits the front of my handlebars, and all of a sudden, the last thing I remember is running into his head, falling off my bike over the top and spitting blood, sorry for the grossness, but this blindness in the pit is worse than that. When the blind guides lead the blind, they both fall into a pit. And Jesus says, leave them. Someone could have told me to stop going on that berm, and until that moment, I would have ignored them. I would have said, this is really fun. This is exciting. I'm not hurting anyone. You know, I know how to handle my bike. I'm giving my friend enough room. I just didn't expect that he would wipe out. See, when Jesus is talking to us about a pure heart, most of us are not sitting around thinking about all the evil things we can do. We're thinking about some good things or some fun things or some funny things. And we think, well, it's not going to hurt anyone. And Jesus just says they're blind guides and they'll fall in a pit. And he doesn't say this to judge them or shun them. He says it, I believe, because just like me, flying off of that berm, until I smacked my face and fell off my bike, I was not going to hear someone tell me this might not be the smartest thing to do. We get a plant that's going to be uprooted. We get blind guides that are going to fall in a pit. And then we get this word dull. See, this word dull isn't really, really meant to sound like it's uncaring. The word dull is really meant to hearken us back or remind us back to these moments where Isaiah talks about the people being dull and the people not hearing and not understanding. And it's really this idea 
that when we focus on the externals, when we focus on our external behavior, our surface appearances, we unintentionally move further and further and further from the heart of God. Our minds become cloudy, they become polluted, and they become dull. And now we're unable to see or hear God. Just like my friend saying, maybe that's not the smartest thing to do. Oh, it's fine. God calls out to us, and when we start to become confused or polluted or dull, we stop hearing and seeing what God might want to give us. And really, truly, we become separated from the life that he wants for us. Have you ever felt separated from the life God wants for you? Maybe it's not because you've been impure, but maybe you're just not following him or not hearing him or not understanding him, and you just feel pulled in another direction. That's what this uprooting picture is trying to get at. When we're uprooted, the plant is separated from its lifeblood, from the soil, from, from the where it's going to get life. God does this so that we might know, we might turn to him. He lets us fall in the pit so we realize just how dark and how cruddy the pit is. And, and it's just worse when we don't realize that we're there. That's how Jesus ends the story. In case we haven't figured out that it's more about what we see and what we hear and less about what we put in our mouths, he says in verse 19, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what pollute a person. But eating with unwashed hands doesn't pollute a person. See, here's how it works. See, experiences come in through our eyes and they come in through our ears and then we ponder them in our minds and then we connect emotion to them in our heart and then they take root there in our heart until they come out of our mouths and come out of our bodies through our words and our actions. But they come in through our eyes, they come in through our mind. They connect into our, our emotions, to our heart, and then they come back out. And this is what Jesus is warning us about. This is what he's trying to teach us about. This is what he's trying to call us to, is that no matter how good we think we are, if we allow these things to come into our ears and come into our eyes, and I would add, come into our homes and come into our lives, then our lives become, our lives with God become cloudy. Our lives with God become quiet. We start to say things like, if, if we've been following Jesus for a while, we start to say things like, you know, it's really dry. Or we start to say th- things like, I can't really hear God. Or I don't feel close to him. And Jesus is saying, if that's where you're at, you can turn. If your heart is there, you can come back. Some people, when they're there, they will choose to take this road that'll get them faster affirmation. 
oh, if I just focus on my behaviors, my external appearances, if I look good on the outside, if I act like a godly person, people will notice, maybe they'll compliment me, and then maybe I won't feel so bad about this fact that I'm far away from God or that I'm not hearing God or that I don't know where he is. And that road is going to lead us down the blind guide road, the pit road, the smashing your face on the handlebars road. Not good. But if we can stop and say, I can't get my heart right on my own. That's, that's the good news of the story. Is We can't get our heart right on our own. And if we think we can, we're just going to kind of try and scrub it up and present this like little bit cleaner heart. But the good news is that God says, when we accept Christ, he takes our old heart out and he puts a new one in. The prophets say this over and over. I will give you a new heart so that you can follow me and that you can love me so that there's no impurities in it, so there's no clogging it, so there's no, there's no obstacles in the way. Our resistance to this is, well, but I have a pretty good heart. You know, and, and it looks like this. It looks like, you know, it's okay if my 13-year-old has a, a device with unlimited access to the internet and, and can get everything and everywhere because he's got a good heart. He's not going to hand it to his friend who's going to show him really disastrous sights. Um, it can come out like this. Like, you know, it's just a little bit of R-rated movie. It's just a little bit of sex. It's just a little bit of violence. I can handle it. I'm a mature, sophisticated person. I can tell the difference between this and this. See, we have to remember that what we do today affects where we'll be tomorrow. We have to remember that when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. He's not saying, blessed are those who think their heart is good, for then God will be their buddy. The only way we can have a pure heart is if we go, Jesus you need to take mine. Because no matter how good I think it is, no matter how much I scrub it up, it's just not going to be 100% pure. We've got to get our own heart right. Fortunately, that's the good news. That's what God offers. He says he'll take it. He asks us to examine it. Uh, Psalm 26, too. If you want to know how to live with a pure heart... Psalm 26, 2 says, God, test my heart. Examine it. You can pray, God, if I'm thinking things that are impure, convict me of them. Or, God, if I, if I have, have relationships or friendships that take me down a road of things that are worse rather than, build, than me building them up, show me. God, if I'm being entertained that things that are wrong Show me. God, make my heart right with you. Psalm 51.10 says, God, create in me a clean heart. God wants to do this. This is his business. This is what he does. Once we get our heart right by giving it to him, he says that we need to protect it. Psalm, or Proverbs 4.23 says that we have to guard our heart above everything else. Because everything 
flows from our heart. It's like it's been called the wellspring of life. It's been called the headwaters of the river. We guard our heart because that's where the water source needs to be pure, and that will bring pure water down the stream. If it's polluted there, then everything else is polluted. We've got to keep a watch over our heart. We've got to think about what is coming into our home. We've got to think about what is we are being influenced by. We've got to think about what we're reading, what we're watching, the friends that are close to us, and what we sit and think about over and over. Not because we want people to go, oh, look at those good church people not doing anything wrong, not having any fun, because this is the way we'll see God. Isaiah. Yes, he was called to write that the people's hearts were far from him, but his whole start to the whole ministry was through this moment where he saw God, and it talks about it in Isaiah 6, that he sees this vision of, of winged creatures that are that have too many, six wings on each side, and, and he describes these feet that look like this, and these eyes that look like this, and, and they're just almost mythical creatures, but they're so amazing because we're trying to use human words to describe an eternal God. And Isaiah says, woe is me, I'm, I'm, I'm undone, I am unworthy, I don't have a clean heart. And the angel of God comes and touches his lips, and he says, you are clean. And Isaiah says, send me wherever you want to, I'll do whatever. Once I see a little glimpse of you, God, I will do anything. That's what God wants from us. That's what God wants to invite us to. He wants us to have this intimate life with him where we see him, where we act in this pure way, where we protect our hearts, where we live according to God's word. We don't put our traditions above his word, but we think about his word and we think about his life because we are close to him, because we want to see him, because we want to pursue this standard of 100% purity. Not to pursue perfection, but because God is 100% pure. And think about what it would look like for us to live that. For us not to come day in and day out to our lives or to our coworkers and talk about all the crud that we consumed over the weekend or all the ways we're feeling far from God. Yes, to meet our, our, our co-workers and our friends and our neighbors in a place of equality, of I'm blind, you're blind, we both need new eyes and we both need new hearts. But being able to say, do you know I prayed this weekend and I heard God? Do you know that I was in this desperate need and here's how God answered? Do you know that when I was quiet with him and, and when I asked him, he answered? How would your friends, how would your coworkers, how would those people that are far from God respond if you got to tell them that? How would, it, how would they respond when the Holy Spirit comes through your life because it's a pure life and a pure heart and your spiritual gifts start to come out and God's Spirit's with you every day and you get to see His goodness every day and you get to, you get to place His goodness by His power in someone else's hands and you get to see Him working in your life and, and through, through everything. And what is the one thing that can change the world? 
just as we move into this time of communion and this time of response. We just had elections last week, and I'm super thankful that I get to vote. But we have to remember, our government officials, they can't change human hearts. I love our education system and our medical system and our government, but they cannot do what only Jesus can do. Jesus Christ is the one who heals the wounds that we've gathered. Jesus Christ is the one who wipes away the shame so that we'll come to him to get a new heart. Jesus Christ is the one who gives the church the authority to carry this out. And when our hearts are pure, we can do this with him. And when our hearts are not pure, we can't see him. We can't hear him. We fall into the pit. The good news is that God still comes. And he still asks, and he still offers. And he does it out of love. He does it out of compassion. So as we prepare our hearts for communion, ask the Spirit, what actions and attitudes do we need to bring to him? What are weeds that he has to pull up? What are those impurities that he's got to take away? Where in your life are you biking hard and fast, but blind? Someone might even be calling out to you, but you're choosing not to hear it. What is he asking for? How will you respond? Jesus. You gave some harsh words or some critical comments to these these religious leaders pretending to be godly, but their hearts were far from you. God, we want our hearts close to you. If we're here, we're seeking to hear your words. Thank you for the reminder of Psalm 119. How, how, How can a young person keep his way pure by living according to your word, by focusing on the truth that you have given us life, that you've given us redemption, that you've given us forgiveness, God, that you offer us your mercy in your compassion. God, give us the courage to to stop holding on to things that we think will give us life, but are really just bringing us dullness. We want energy. We want passion. We want forgiveness. We want closeness. God, we want to see you. Help us to see you today. Change us, God. Wash us. Clean us.